This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with a company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard, and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most, and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 206 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. Today on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello. Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. And I'm your host, Dave Smith. We have with us today a special guest named Ben Briggs. Hey, folks. How are you doing? Oh, ben. I just realized it's a podcast, so... <laughs> Welcome, Ben. Uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm a freelance JavaScript developer. I've been developing for the web for about 10 years, and I do sort of client-side and server-side development. I'm probably best known for the open source work that I do. So I wrote CSS Nano, which is a modular CSS minifier. I also authored PostCSS Use, which is how you can use PostCSS on CodePen, and lots of other modules. You can find them on my GitHub or NPM. So we're here today to talk a little bit about PostCSS. Can you just give us an overview of what that is? Yeah, PostCSS is really like a toolbox of tools that you have to modify some CSS. So we basically give you all you need to transform or analyze some CSS, but we don't actually give you any sort of opinion on how that should be done. We leave that up to you. So the tools that PostCSS has, it has a parser. So the parser takes a string of CSS and basically turns it into an abstract syntax tree. And then that tree is basically a JavaScript object that has child objects inside of it. So a very simple example, if you have a, a CSS rule, say heading one, and then you have a 
declaration inside, color blue. Then PoCSS represents it as a, a root node, which is like an invisible wrapper, which is like the file. And then you have a rule node with the selector. Inside that rule, you have the declaration. So it has this parser for this tree. And also with the parser, you get some methods on top. So if you need to iterate over all of the rules, you can use methods like walk rules, which is a, it goes through all of the nodes in the actual file. And we have helper methods like append and prepend and clone and replace with. Um, so it's kind of like a DOM API in terms of actually being able to manipulate CSS. You have all of these methods that you can use. So that's the syntax tree. We also have source map support sort of built into PostCSS. So many CSS tools, obviously, you want the source maps so that the compiled CSS obviously maps back to your development uh, file. And then we have the stringifier. So the stringifier takes this syntax tree and turns it back into a CSS string. Now, the thing what makes PostCSS really good is the actual plugin system. So the thing with PostCSS is that you add in your own plugins. So the most popular of which is AutoPrefixer. So AutoPrefixer obviously goes into your CSS file and prefixes all of the rules that need vendor prefixes. And right now we have something like 200 plugins that you can use. And you can just load them in via the require function. And this way is quite a nice way of working with CSS because you have these plugins and you get to choose which ones that you want to use in your build process. You don't have to use all of them. In fact, I, <laughs> I encourage against it because there's a lot of modules that will do sort of similar things. And it's really on the developer who wants to work out what modules are right for their project. And obviously, it's going to be different depending on what your project is. To solve some of this, we have uh, plugin packs. So there's a plugin pack for future CSS syntax called CSS Next. There's also the pre-CSS, which is like a plugin pack for doing preprocessor-like tasks. And there's also lots of other plugins. So there's a website for this, postcss.parts, that you can go in and just just have a look and just browse the list, search for plugins that you want to use. And yeah, that's PostCSS. It's quite a big thing because yeah. obviously obviously you have this plugin system. And it's just important to note that PostCSS doesn't actually do anything. So in its default state, if you load PostCSS in via Gulp or Grunt, it doesn't actually transform because PostCSS was meant to work with old CSS files. So it saves as much of the white space and the comments and the selector hacks as it needed to to work for auto-prefixer. So the basic goal is that we provide a one-to-one -one input to output. And so PostCSS does nothing until you fill it with plugins. And that's cool. <laughs> that was a really awesome explanation of a huge thing. Can you take a step back a little bit and tell us, for someone who's not familiar with PostCSS, what problems it was designed to solve for developers? Yeah, sure. So PostCSS really came off the back of auto-prefixer, but to understand that, we have to understand some of the context of why PostCSS was born. So I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Rework. But, no, um, I haven't. The book? Uh, no, it was actually a node module created by TJ Hollowaychuk. Um, well, that narrows it down to only half of the normal. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Basically, so TJ created this this module which is similar to PostCSS, and Andre Sitnik, the guy who actually wrote AutoPrefixer and PostCSS, he was using Rework for a time, but he noticed that there was parts of Rework that he wasn't satisfied with, uh, one of them being that people were coming to him with CSS that was sort of malformed, and he wanted that AutoPrefixer just works, right? So you, you put in some CSS, it doesn't matter if it's missing a, a semicolon here or there, and that's in PostCSS now as PostCSS Safe Parser, but for a long time it was sort of bundled as PostCSS. And so Andre really, he took the base of Rework, which was this components-based uh, system for managing uh, CSS and then made it into PostCSS. He sort of maybe maybe he did fork it. I I wasn't at this point. I wasn't in even in the project. I've been working with PostCSS for coming up to a year now, but it's been two or three years old now. Um, so I'm not really sure of that history behind it. But I know that it was a transition from Rework to PostCSS, and PostCSS fixes a lot of the problems that Rework had when we were working with AutoPrefixer. And so, for a time, PostCSS was used by AutoPrefixer internally. So instead of AutoPrefixer using Rework as the tool behind behind what, what it was doing to add vendor prefixes, they obviously switched it over to PostCSS, and then it was extracted out of AutoPrefixer, and then sort of PostCSS was born, and it was made as a, a pluggable like alternative to Rework. Hope that answers the question. I think so. But I have maybe two questions also before we get into too much detail. So the first question, I have two, but the first question is you sent us some great stuff to read ahead of time. And so some people you talk about or in these articles, it talks about using PostCSS along with SAS. But then in one article, it talks about using PostCSS as a replacement for SAS. So you also talked about like a little bit earlier how you can do some logic with it. So why would someone still want to use SAS, and why would someone maybe just want to use PostCSS? It's quite a hard question because <laughs> basically SAS is a different way of solving the same problem that PostCSS tries to solve. It just it just tackles it in a different way. So if you think about the sort of when SAS was first coming out and people had this vendor prefix issue, they would get some mixin library or they'd write a mixin library to handle uh, vendor prefixes. So to have the auto prefixer functionality, you would write you know a mixin to do it. Um, PostCSS doesn't have this kind of sort of syntax on top of it. It just passes structures that are like CSS. So the interface of the auto prefixer is that it just operates on a declaration because CSS is a decorative language. Auto prefixer just works on, on that. And you can do the same in SAS, but with SAS you're using their own scripting language called SAS script. So it's just a really different way of solving the same problem, I think. Because you can do a lot with SAS. I, I was looking, actually, even today, I, I came across this um, module called SAS Dash. And it's basically Lodash, but in SAS. And um, there's some really cool things that you can do with SAS script. And for those people who have that use case of they want to have um, functional sort of 
concepts in their style sheets, then I think SAS is still the best tool for that. Um, PerseSS takes it in a different direction because we say that we don't want these structures in our CSS. A lot of popular PerseSS plugins don't have this kind of syntax. Auto prefix is a, a good example, but there's also a grid system called Lost. Now, the Lost grid system basically it defines some extra CSS properties. They all start with Lost. The getting started example on their README is just a, a div with a, a Lost column property and Lost column one third, and then that compiles into like five div rules, which are basically how you would implement a grid system in CSS, but. Obviously, you don't have to write that because the, the grid system uh, generates that for you. And that's just using existing decorative CSS to output that. So it's a, it's a different way of thinking about it. So SAS likes to keep logic inside uh, your style sheets, whereas ProCSS plugins like to take logic out of your style sheet. And instead, you have JavaScripts uh, manipulating the CSS behind the scenes um, to to get the desired output. So I think there's still a place where uh, people can use both SAS and, and PostCSS together. Maybe if you use stuff like the syntax sugar, if you use something like, I know there's some people that write PostCSS plugins that actually try and emulate stuff from SAS, but I don't really think it's the best way uh, forward because obviously SAS has got its own sort of variable state machine and you have that across plugins it doesn't really make sense at the minute so I think SAS is still the best tool for that but I mean who's to say that that possibility might come to PostCSS in the future we, we don't know I just know that personally I prefer decorative structures hopefully that maybe answered your question I it did, and I have another question that relates to that. So one thing that I thought was really, really cool about PostCSS is its ability to allow you to use, like, future features that might be coming out. So I was kind of thinking of it like a babble for my CSS. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, that is a module called CSS Next, and basically that contains a lot of the future CSS features that are going to, you know, appear in, in CSS. And, you know, we're talking about things like the var function. So you can define a, a root selector with all of the custom variables in there and then reference them in declarations. Now, the thing with this is it has to be scoped to the roots because that's how it works. You can't actually emulate some of the behavior using a polyfill because it wouldn't work without like a JavaScript runtime. But you can polyfill a lot of the CSS features just statically. There's another one for the calc function. So if you have like simple math, which you need to, obviously, you know, older browsers don't support uh, the calc function, but if you have a simple expression, then it can be calculated. And so there's a lot of like CSS or future CSS that can be sort of statically compiled into existing CSS. Um, there's a whole load of features on the website cssnext.io and CSS Next is just a post-CSS plugin so if you want this feature in your style sheet you can load it. The idea of CSS Next is that it is a module that will lose features over time as browsers add support for all of these new features then 
they will be removed from CSS Next and also CSS Next. It's both about doing the future features and also compatibility for old browsers. So CSS Next actually includes Auto Prefixer along with other things. It used to include um, CSS Nano for a time, but it's sort of been trimmed back. It's now on GitHub as PostCSS CSS Next, which is a bit of a mouthful, but the general principle is still the same, that you have the plugin that is specifically focused on just a future CSS syntax. So I have a question that's a bit of a change of direction. It's kind of about how PostCSS fits into the larger JavaScript ecosystem and, and the I don't wanna I'm trying to think of another way besides JavaScript fatigue, but that's kind of what it is. Like the, the oh, yeah. you have eight million different choices of different tools and ways to plug things together and you can customize things just infinitely and that time that you spend customizing things is time you don't spend getting stuff done. And it seems like post CSS is is another tool that is very powerful and can offer you a lot of flexibility, but also is just another thing to set up. How do you offer the power that PostCSS offers without driving people crazy or making them just frustrated with one more tool to set up? That's a good question. It is quite hard to do this. Going back on that point about CSS Next becoming PostCSS CSS Next, um, it was just CSS Next for a time on GitHub where you could get CSS Next as a tool and use it as a standalone tool. So it had a command line wrapper, it had, you know, gulp, grunt, broccoli, all of these wrappers so that it could in integrate into a build system. And for a time that was good. Now, I think what people are realizing is that it's like the grunt versus gulp argument. So the whole reason why gulp was created was because of this expensive file system, right? So you would you'd run some plugin, you'd write to disk, you'd run some other plugin, write to disk, and then Gulp came along and said, right, well, we can get rid of those intermediate disk writes and we can do all of this stuff in memory. And what PostCSS offers is the opportunity to consolidate all of your CSS processing steps into one single uh, plugin. Now, I can appreciate that obviously we have 200 or so PostCSS plugins now. So for people that, that maybe are fatigued, then that's probably not going to save you from a whole lot. Um, the fact that you might have to go through the plugin list and pick out plugins that, that are suitable. But you can start with a couple. You could just start with maybe, maybe just auto-prefixer, see how it worked for you. The nice thing about PostCSS is once you have it there in your in your build, then you can start adding in plugins that work with that CSS. So today I might load in Auto Prefixer. Oh, it works really good. Now I can look on the, the PostCSS website. Oh, there's another plugin I want to try. And you can sort of build it up that way. It's kind of like Babel in a way, I suppose, because Babel went from... Uh, version 5 where everything was built in to version 6 where you had to configure everything and for a time people thought uh, well you know I'm going to stick with 5 because it's got everything I need and I, I don't need Babel 6 but configuration files came out for Babel 6 and lots of documentation came out and actually it wasn't it wasn't that difficult to upgrade and they had some teething problems with Babel but 
they got the, all of those ironed out, and we ended up with a much nicer system. I think these pluggable systems are a lot nicer. Once you have them in there, you know, doing their stuff, it's very easy to add plugins to them. And I always found I sort of started with Grunt, sort of Grunt 0.4 when it came out, and I just liked going to the uh, Grunt plugin website and saying, uh, just doing a search for CSS, what tools can I use to use on my CSS? How can I make it smaller? How can I do various things with it? And that organic discovery is something that I really, I really like about a plugin ecosystem. And I think it's worked well for Babel. It's worked well for Grunt. It's worked well for Gulp. And I think it's working well for PostCSS. I mean, we have hit something like one and a half million downloads the other month. So we must be doing something right. So I want to ask sort of a related question here. Sure. Uh, since we're already on the topic of tool fatigue, what's your overall opinion of the entire tool fatigue topic and where post-CSS fits within this? I know this is really related to what you've already answered, but I'm just kind of interested in your holistic opinion as well. Sure. Well, I think people are fatigued by the amount of configuration and I tend to think of this as a documentation problem and not a code problem. I think that this modular way of developing tools for working with CSS is a lot stronger than what we were doing before. So before we had a pluggable system like PostCSS, you would have a gulp plugin for every transform that you'd want to do. And then you would you would have this thing where you would be passing and stringifying and passing and stringifying each time you loaded a plugin. So in terms of it being modular, I think that that's actually a good thing. In terms of where it sits in configuration, PostCSS is more like a Babel type uh, deal than something that you can you know, easily drop into something and it just works. Tools where you just drop in a module into your build process and then it just works and it has a nice default configuration and you don't have to worry about all of these extra modules that you put in. I think it is worth the extra effort but PostCSS is definitely on the the side of you need to go and get a configuration. And we're working on addressing that. Recently, we released PostCSS.org. PostCSS.org is going to be one place where you can get information on PostCSS, PostCSS plugins. And at the moment, it's just a landing page. But we've gone for so long just having a GitHub repository that having a, a website, a proper website, was, you know, a really exciting thing for us. And I think, I really do think that this problem is a documentation problem and that people that are fatigued should be able to go to the website or at least ask in the chat room. We have a chat room, so anyone can come over and say, hey, I'm completely lost. I don't understand what PostCSS is. I don't know how to configure it. They can go in the chat and say and say these things, and we'll and we'll help them. But failing that, I think, being having a a website with with all of this documentation, initial setup, sort of recipes uh, would be really good. So we're working on that. That that's sort of a, a pipeline thing. You know what developers are like for documentation. It sort of takes a backseat a lot of the time because they like <laughs> we like uh, writing code. But I do think it's a really important consideration to make. Another somewhat related question here. Let's say that you're a developer and you're building a project. Where on the scale of how much 
care attention you're going to pay to your CSS? Does it does post CSS start offering enough value? Like, if I'm just building a simple project, and I'm just going to maybe drop in Bootstrap. Maybe mm-hmm. post CSS doesn't make sense for me, right? So, where on that scale does post CSS start making sense for people? When should they be thinking? to themselves, hey, for this project, I should probably start looking at this if I haven't looked at this before. Right. So I don't know because I've not used Bootstrap for a while, but does Bootstrap still provide vendor prefixes in the compiled files that, right. that you know? I'm not sure, but I believe it does. Right. Well, if it doesn't, then that is a number one reason to use PostCSS anyway. But even if it does, let's just say you're using a version of Bootstrap that's very old um, auto prefixer can actually, you know, remove vendor prefixes from files too. So it it is very much a you know a developer convenience that you have this tool that is there for managing uh, prefixes. I think it is it's one of those. It's like an organic tool. Auto prefixer has a a little time capsule in it, which basically at some point that it will detect that there's no need for vendor prefixes in your file and it will tell it'll tell you to remove it from your build and maybe a few years down the line we don't need to use vendor prefixes anymore and auto prefixes not not necessary i think transforming css really does depend on what use cases you have for it so you know vendor prefixes is a you know a big one but post css has you know a lot more uh, use cases than that. One of the things that people don't maybe don't talk about so much with PostCSS because primarily it seems like it's a transform tool is analysis plugins and and there's a, a really fantastic linter tool called StyleLint and StyleLint is like ESLint for your CSS and you know if you're using PostCSS with StyleLint then you know why not chuck in some extra plugins that are going to sort of improve your CSS workflow. I've already talked about the lost grid, which I think is really good, means that you don't have to maintain a a grid system. Even in a small application, you're going to want things like grid systems. You've already already talked about, you know, bootstrap, but you can think about maybe adding in your own and trying it out. But I think, yeah, so StyleLint is a very big value add. That allows you to uh, lint pretty much everything now. Um, there's about 100 rules, stylelint.io, and it's is another... One, is it customizable? Yes. So it basically takes a configuration file. It's like ESLint in that way. So you can um, you can actually publish your configuration to NPM with ESLint, and I think you can do the same with stylelint. And, yeah, so... And if StyleLint doesn't provide you with the exact linting setup that you want, then you can actually plug StyleLint itself. So you can create your own rules for StyleLint, and and StyleLint will pick them up. Um, you just write a, a JavaScript function if you have the mouse to do so, I suppose. Right. And I think you've given some really a really great answer to that question. And maybe my scenario wasn't a great one because probably what's more likely is you're working on a project, right, and you've just been handwriting CSS. The designer's been handwriting CSS, and you've got whatever. You've got a whole bunch of handwritten CSS, and you've been thinking to yourself, maybe we should look at a preprocessor, or maybe we should look at post-CSS, or you know, maybe we just haven't had quite had the time yet. 
you know, that idea of where is it really start going to start paying off for me to look at one of these tools, I think is a good question yeah. that a lot of viewers might end up asking themselves after listening to an episode like this is, well, I've got a project that's kind of like this. Will I really find value in this or will I spend a lot of time looking at it and in the end feel like, eh, it just doesn't quite have the payoff for me to spend a bunch of time setting it up? Yeah, I can get that. It's hard for me to answer that kind of question because if you find that, and, and PostCSS, as I say, is a couple hundred plugins, if you find that there's nothing that PostCSS offers you in that plugin list, then then you shouldn't really be using uh, PostCSS. But there's so many things that it offers you to transform CSS in, in different ways. Um, for example, one of the plugins that I was having a look at the other day and I'm so gutted that I haven't had the opportunity to use this plugin because I just thought it was so cool. It's called RTL CSS. Basically the idea is that you have a website that's left to right and then for people that don't read from left to right, they read from right to left. Obviously they expect the site should be mirrored and that's what RTL CSS does. It doesn't just sort of convert like direction LTR to direction L RTL. It has a whole range of properties that it can transform such as background, border, clear, cursor, floats, transform, text shadow, and padding and margin. So it sort of handles a lot of what conversion that you would have to do. Say your boss said, hey, we're getting some sales in, in this country and they don't read from left to right, they read from right to left. How do you do that? You know, if you're handwriting your CSS, you probably have to make an override style sheet and copy all the selectors in and then, you know, search and replace sort of float left and replace it with float right. And the advantage of RTL CSS is that you put in your CSS file and it flips it and it's, you know, it's a post-CSS plugin. And that's just one of the examples of how you can use post-CSS as, you know, something that not only can modify things like vendor prefixes, but it can also take a whole style sheet and, you know, mirror it. There was also, uh, Brian Holt made a, a module called PostCSS Colorblind. And basically what this is like is it's running your uh, website through a, uh, a colorblindness filter. Um, how would you do that before PostCSS? Well, what you might do is you might get a screenshot of your website and then get it into Photoshop and maybe you have sort of overlays for, you know, different uh, color blindness. And this plugin says you don't need to do that. You load the, the plugin in and it will transform your live website with all of the, the new colors so that you can see, hey, that contrast is really bad for those those users. And quickly, because you can chain all of these modules together, uh, you can be debugging your website for colorblind users that are reading from right to left, right? So there's lots of different use cases that it enables, but it really depends on you and what you have. I've not had the chance to use RTL CSS. I think it's a really cool project, but I haven't had the users to, you know, do that for. I'm just, you know, I'm waiting for that for that opportunity. One thing I'd like to talk about, I don't know if you've ever heard the term post-processing, but for a time that was what PostCSS was known for, and we sort of changed the meaning from that whole post-processing thing. It's really like more than CSS. It's sort of like, you know, how we have rock and post-rock. It's like 
post-CSS is like you can do like more with CSS. So um, modern and postmodern. Yeah, sort of. Uh, yeah. Beyond CSS. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, I wanted to kind of put this out there because I thought people might be interested. I wrote a, um, basically it's a, a, you know, a code block formatter for post-CSS because post-CSS can actually pass things that aren't CSS into this AST and it can output things that aren't CSS. So basically you can load in custom parsers and custom stringifiers. And so I wrote this thing, it's called Midas. The link is midasjs.com. And it basically takes some CSS and wraps span tags around all the tokens. And I wrote that for basically, I wanted some really nice code blocks for the CSS Nano website. And I was looking at Highlight.js at the time and it doesn't handle minified code very well. That was just an idea of, you know, post-CSS can do quite a lot with CSS. We also have a less parser and a SAS parser. Now, they don't actually convert, so it's basically if you wanted to add a post-CSS step to a SAS file before you uh, sent it out. Basically, like if you had like a theme file and you wanted vendor prefixes, but you wanted the, the variables to be intact, you'd use one of these things. One of the things we get quite a lot is that does post-CSS, SCSS compile SCSS to CSS? Uh, the answer is no, it doesn't. So that's, that's just something to bear in mind. But yeah, so we do offer those custom parsers and custom stringifiers. I think there's I think there's a lot of unexplored sort of territory around that. And that was my idea with Midas was to make something that was sort of kind of working with CSS, but it's actually working with, you know, HTML tags. I saw a nifty demo on the Twitters a month or two back by somebody, and they had set up, I think they were using post-CSS to, um, uh, for the, well, the thing it's most frequently used for, which is uh, prefixing all of your rules with these randomly generated IDs, right? But instead of IDs, he had used emojis. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you about that. Like, is that legit? Can I start shipping apps with emojis in my DOM? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I answer that tentatively because uh-huh. I don't really know because basically post-CSS passes CSS-like structures. Um, so it passes things that maybe aren't specification CSS, but you can also sort of convert those to actual CSS. So there was an example, lots of uh, fun post-CSS plugins. There's a fun category on the in the plugin list. And lots of people have made sort of like post-CSS Australian style sheets and post-CSS Canadian style sheets. So it's about making those properties, turning them from, you know, maybe a a Canadian version of a certain property into the actual, you know, American spelling. Oh, so like ZS instead of Z or things like that? Or or do you mean adding a suffix of A to everything? Sorry, that was my little Canadian joke. <laughs> well, they had post CSS spiffing, which is basically a re implementation of the spiffing module. What, what and is that? Basically, that's British English properties. You can write color with the U, and then it will be translated to color without the U. And things like important becomes please instead. So you can do things that are. Oh, that's not- awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not quite CSS, but yeah. post-CSS can transform that into something that the browser understands. In terms of emoji, I'm not really sure. Like, I think at least the Unicode symbols are 
a valid identifiers yeah. in JavaScript. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure why they wouldn't be in CSS. I mean, that's pretty cool. But you wouldn't need PostCSS to do something like that. Well, so it might be team... quite cool. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was, I was thinking it might be quite cool if you... Oh, it looked really cool. They, you had a yeah. screenshot of the, of the DOM inspector, and it was very colorful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, awesome. Yeah, I was impressed. Now I'm wondering if it was fake, since you're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> It's anyway. not something I've looked into, but I'm, I'm yeah. sure it's... So my team is using PostCSS at work, and they love it. It's fantastic. But one of the questions that we often find ourselves scratching our head is, where does PostCSS end and CSS modules begin? Like, to us, those are one and the same, but I suspect there actually is an interface between them or something. Can you describe that for us? Yeah, so PostCSS actually has a plugin for CSS modules. Uh, it's called PostCSS Modules. And basically, this takes, you know, the output from CSS modules and puts it back into PostCSS. And and so is the CSS modules like a separate project completely? Yes. So I think it started off as a PostCSS plugin. But now if you go to the GitHub link, uh, CSS modules slash CSS modules, then it defines really a spec for implementing CSS uh, modules. So, yeah, so the, there's a separate PostCSS plugin, and I know that obviously there's, you know, ways to do this in React. So you have, you know, a React class, which is actually using CSS modules. But there's a lot of overlap between the CSS, CSS modules and PostCSS. All PostCSS is doing really is transforming class names. So if you look at the example of PostCSS modules, you have an input styles and you have the composes rules, which are then you know, compiled into actual extending from uh, selectors. And then you have you know, the, the global selectors, which, are, which don't have these class names on them. And then you get a JSON object back with all of the class name mappings. So then you can use those mappings in, say, you wanted to use them with handlebars templates or any of, like, Jade or, or any, anything like that, you could do so. There's obviously more sort of integrated ways to do it, things like React, but I think that's right. Andre was talking about the CSS modules uh, is .css talk. I don't think he went into it very much in detail, but it is something that is definitely going to be something to look at it's you know it's very important not having css applied to everything sort of in a global way but having yeah yeah would you say that's the number one reason people use post css i'm not sure to be honest i don't have uh, downloads on post css modules but i'm i'm sure that people use post css for a lot of different use cases and that must be one of them because yeah yeah i think well, I my team loves be, it yeah Oh, that's awesome. Uh, they're huge fans because, I mean, like we've been through several iterations over the years of trying to basically solve this same problem of how to scope your CSS so that you don't have too much specificity or, you know, hard to refactor styles um, or uh, uh, leaky styles. And so, you know, we've been through BEM, we've been through CS style, and finally post-CSS is the one where we're all like, okay, this one's going to stick. <laughs> yeah. Really CSS modules specifically. I mean, if you want to use CSS modules, you don't absolutely have to use PostCSS, but it is one of the ways in mm -hmm. which you can use PostCSS. If you just think of PostCSS as a, as a way to just transform CSS or analyze it, and then you can fill that with sort of whatever you want on top. 
Really? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. I hope that covers that. All right, let's go to picks. Amy, what are your picks this week? My first pick, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably already know this, but I found a really good article this weekend. It's called Functional Programming for JavaScript People. Uh, And I just thought it was really, I, I will say, like, and it says this in the article, like, it's not a quick read. So, like, be prepared to learn a lot. But at the same time, I felt it was pretty approachable. So uh, that is my first pick. I'll put a link in. And the second pick, probably a couple episodes ago, I picked something that I'm involved with called Operation Code. And I wanted to share this, that if you are a veteran, they uh, Operation Code, which I am helping with, has partnered with an online boot camp called Launch School. So you can apply. I'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, you can apply to go to this online boot camp for free. So it says it's for veterans. I would also, if you are like a uh, spouse of a veteran or potentially like spouse of active duty, I would say go ahead and apply as well and feel free to reach out to me if for some reason uh, they say anything about that because I think that that's also very important. So those are the two picks for me. That's it. Ben, what are your picks? I just have one pick. So I visit this website every weekday. It's called Web Platform Daily. It's webplatformdaily.org. And it's basically this curated list where you can see all of the sort of the daily news from folks in the web community. And it's really, really good. I highly recommend that. And it, it only takes, you know, a couple of minutes just sort of, you know, read it. There's links to... Twitter conversations or tools or, you know, just lots of cool stuff. So that's a good one. Cool. Joe, what are your picks? Oh, all righty then. I think I'm going to go with two picks today. Pick number one is Cadbury caramel eggs. Not cream eggs. (laughs) Caramel. Caramel. In fact, just to show you how much I enjoy this pick, I'm going to listen to me unwrap and eat one. It's like an unboxing. Yeah. Like, can you hear it? Can you hear it? I've got to turn it up a little bit, maybe. Mm. I'm putting it right next to the mic so you can hear it being unwrapped. It is nice. so delicious. This is, this is the tackiest thing we've ever done. <laughs> that's, and that's saying a lot. That's really saying a lot. <laughs> and my second pick is going to be the Hello World podcast. Sean Wildermuth interviews developers and talks about how they got into programming. And last night... I attended a live recording. Cool. Live recording because it wasn't live broadcasting, but it was recorded while people were alive. <laughs> just yeah. like JavaScript Jabber. Yeah, just like this show. <laughs> We've never done a dead recording. We've never, never, ever done one. But he had Merrick Christensen, Utah's own Merrick Christensen, who has like an amazingly awesome story. So go yep. check out the episode on Merrick Christensen on how he got into programming. Local uh, celebrity and hero. Yes, absolutely. And that's my picks. Great. Uh, my pick for you today is one pick. I'd like to pick React Rally coming back to Salt Lake City, August 25th and 26th. I just want you to know I'm not affiliated with this conference in any way other than friendship. Uh, Jameson Dance, our very own panelist, is one of the co-organizers along with Matt Zabriskie. And I have seen a few of the announcements, and it is looking to be an awesome conference this year. Early bird tickets are going on sale. Let's see here. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> you can and you better be right that date in your calendar, folks. Yes. 
Pencil in early bird tickets going on sale soon for React Rally. This is a community-organized conference. Uh, they've already announced a couple of speakers. It looks like it's going to be really great. Uh, they've learned a lot from last year, and I think it's going to be really awesome. So you are definitely going to want to get your tickets during the early bird. Don't pay full price like a schlub. So React Rally coming to Salt Lake City, August 25th and 26th. That's a great time of year to visit. The grass is brown. The skies are clear. Uh, that's a Thursday and a Friday. So I'm excited. I think it's going to be really slick. That's all I have for you. So that's it for our show. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. 